Welcome back to another edition of Billy West Live. Uh, again, my, my great uh, you know, pleasure and privilege to welcome Dr. Greg Granger from Northwestern State University back to our show uh, here on Billy West Live to discuss uh, the happenings in, in Ukraine. Greg, we haven't had you on in a few weeks. Um, interesting developments with NATO, with uh, Finland and Sweden. Talk about the process, about that application, the implications of that application, and then the process. How does that application process work? Right. Well, thank you, Billy. It's good to, always good to be with you guys. Um, you know, people have to always be reminded, I find, that NATO is not just a military defense organization. It is a political organization, too. And so, for example, a country's relationship between their military and their civilian leadership is a very important point that's taken into account. And, and, and the civilian leadership of the military, of course, is kind of a bedrock democrat, uh, democracy type of, of, of system. So there are various attributes that NATO wants its members to have. Now, it hasn't always lived up to that. Uh, countries have joined that were not democratic, and now some countries are kind of moving away from democracy and we're trying to rein them back in. But in terms of making decisions, the way that NATO works is called consensus. Uh, actual votes are not taken. It's not a unanimous vote as much as it is a negotiation towards an agreed position. And so when we heard the other day that Turkey was blocking, possibly blocking uh, the entrance of Finland and Sweden, what that means is Turkey is blocking a consensus. They don't have a veto in the sense of casting a vote. But they're preventing a consensus from being formed, which is every member of, of the organization is necessary. So what that means is negotiations towards a common agreement. And so some of Turkey's uh, concerns will have to be alleviated and are compensated or, or whatever it's going to take. I believe the uh, diplomats and possibly the president of Turkey is already in touch with the governments of Finland and Sweden to try to work this out. Uh, they're, they're concerned about the presence of members of what Turkey considers to be terrorist, Kurdish terrorist organizations, uh, maybe in Finland and Sweden. And so they want to uh, work, work out some details that really don't have to do with Ukraine. And we'll, we'll see how that goes. But NATO does work by, by consensus on most major decisions. But NATO is also adaptable to reality. Uh, if we go back to the 1990s when we were fighting the war against Serbia, Every major targeting decision had to be approved by every single member. And back then, it was about 16 members or so. And um, that, that got to be a real problem. And so then about six countries became the decision maker, the major six. And then basically, it was the United States. It was the White House. So NATO is adaptable to political influence and, and the political winds and the environment that it's in to a certain degree. So I think this is going to happen. I think they're going to work something out. Finland and Sweden are going to come in. We have a history already, even though they were technically neutral. We have history of, of knowing what they have. They know what NATO has in terms of equipment, training, uh, and not to mention strategy and, and what the overall purpose is. So what we're seeing is already some weapons transfer from some Scandinavian countries down to, to, to Ukraine, uh, Denmark, um, is an example just sending some um, anti-ship uh, uh, missiles and that some harpoons and that's going to be important uh, to kind of segue into the next topic uh, of how the battle is going uh, we hear about some ukrainian successes and there were some ukrainian successes but we have to keep in mind this as we predicted a month ago or several weeks ago this is a really hard slog that could take the rest of the year or even more 
and cause a lot of worldwide problems. So uh, the next, you know, the, the next phase of the war, in my opinion, will be uh, on the Black Sea. And the United States does not itself have assets on the Black Sea, but we are arming. NATO is arming Ukraine to take out some of the ships that are blockading Odessa. And uh, the problem with that, you know, is we need to clear out the port so that Ukraine can export its wheat. Um, they, we are seriously predicting starvation issues around the world and much higher prices in the developed world uh, if this isn't settled. So if they can clear out and, and somehow work out a deal or forcibly get the Russians out of Odessa or, or the blockade, at least, um, then maybe conditions can be eased a little bit. Well, you've been talking since February that one of the keys to this whole dispute is the warm water port at Odessa. And that seems to be, uh, obviously, the strategic battle that's coming up, the blockade, the export of wheat. And I think people around the world are learning the importance of Ukraine as it you know, relates to world food supply. Sure. I mean, you know, we kind of used to think of it as on the periphery. Uh, it's, you know, one of the poorer countries in, in Europe. And, it was, of course, we knew its geopolitical significance because of where it's located. But now we're realizing the global market uh, often relies on very few suppliers or on, you know, suppliers that are very entrenched in their comparative advantage of what they do. And so uh, we have Ukraine being this breadbasket um, and plus some minerals and, and other items as well. So their trade, their involvement in the world really needs to uh, to be protected or brought back into play because, again, African countries, um, many countries around the world that don't have much access have depended on, on both Russia and Ukraine, to be honest, um, for foodstuffs. And so uh, there's a global effort to try to figure out how we can uh, you know, prepare for the worst. Greg, we've tried to stay away from talking about just military tactics because it gets a little mundane and difficult to talk about. But just in the last few days, it seems as if the Russians have changed their tactics, and now they're blowing up supply lines. They're trying to attack the rail lines and the supply chain for the European front on the east part of Ukraine. I mean, hasn't this exposed Russia's tactics, military tactics, of being lacking? Or why haven't they done that before? Does it make any sense to you? Well, in a, in a sense, it does. I mean, what they didn't do before, I think they were just sp spread too thin. They tried to cover the entire country with four entrances, and now they're basically concentrated into one. Now, I mean, there are still bombs fall falling and being missiles being shot into other parts of the country, but really the east and the south is where where they are concentrated now. Um, the Russians have made a few changes. As we said before, They at first they announced this big deal about a new general in charge of the army, but Recent reportings have said that it's it's Putin acting almost like a colonel uh, in, in, in guiding some of this military action. And many people felt that would be a disaster, but maybe it's some positive for the Russians. I don't know. One thing they have done, you want to talk tactically or operationally, uh, one thing they've done is break down their uh, battalions into very small groups. And this helps their maneuverability. It, it hides them better. It allows them to, to move easier and to attack places so they're not quite at the, like a special forces level but they've broken down some of their battalions from big easily targeted groups of, of equipment and people to more easily hid or disguise smaller groups that can deploy quickly and protect one another 
uh, and hit, as you say, supply lines that they weren't hitting before. They were so focused on taking that steel plant in Mariupol that um, that really took up a lot of their time and effort and resources. And now they pretty much got that. Uh, well, they have that under control. Um, they've got a huge bombed out steel plant. I don't know what they're going to do with it. But, <laughs> they've got it. Um, uh, but now they can, they can move their forces elsewhere. So it sounds like Russia's got kind of a wave of uh, success, you know, behind them, a little wind behind their back. But there are still many challenges. I mean, they're they're losing a lot of people. They're losing a lot of equipment every single day. Uh, if the weapons, the howitzers and the anti-aircraft and now coming up the anti-ship uh, weapons can be brought in. we Again, we're going to see a continued stalemate back and forth. But Ukraine will have some positive uh, successes here. But Russia, you're right, they have been a little more adaptable than they were in the first three months. Um, it's either that or simply just continue the same losses. So they've made some adaptations, but it isn't going to be enough. We, we don't know. And, right. of course, there's the political end. What do we want to see? Uh, last night, I believe it was, at the Davos convention, the big elite global convention, um, which normally, by the way, takes place at a building called the Russia House. And now there's a sign in the building that says the Russia War Crimes House. And it yeah, took so place that, yeah. in a different place named after Ukraine. So politics and symbology. But um, the fact is, there were two speeches given last night. One by Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, which talked about exactly what was needed, what the goal is, what the stakes are, not just for Ukraine, but for the world and for Europe and for the world. Then you had Henry Kissinger, a 98-year-old former American Secretary of State, basically saying Ukraine needs to give it up, uh, give up territory, give up on some of its aims, and stop the war, uh, as though Russia would simply allow some status quo to come back and not still be aggressive. I don't know. So you had really two contrasting views of what Ukraine needs, what Ukraine needs to do, and I think that's the big debate in the world right now is how, how long can this go on and what needs to happen when it's over? Well, that that's, brings up an interesting thought because these are exactly the things we talked about in February just before the invasion began. You know, what is the exit strategy for Putin? Is this going to be another Afghanistan for Russia? It seems like it's moving in that direction, Greg. We couldn't predict it then. Do we have any more predictive power now about what's going to happen? Well, I mean, the, the, the wartime theater, the, the battleground is very different. The battle space is very different in Ukraine than it was in Afghanistan. And, of course, you know, the United States had Stinger missiles and a few other things going in through Afghanistan. Nothing like what's happening now. I mean, there's a massive transfer of weapons continuing. And the new $40 billion bill that the uh, the president is, is I think, signing today or, or has just signed. But uh, so that makes it a very different situation, I think. I don't see this going on nine or ten years like Afghanistan. I see this possibly another year uh, before. And, and the question we have in that year, looking at some of the reports, maybe they're exaggerated. I, I want to just point that out. Maybe they're exaggerated. But Putin does not look good. And the the concerns of his health, I think, are, are very real. And so will he even last the duration of the war, either health-wise or political? You know, politically, we we just don't even know the answer to that right now. So it's, it's very difficult to say. We'll have to do a whole other show on exactly maybe what the future of Russia holds if Putin's no longer in power. That'll, that'll be an interesting show in itself. I did want to ask you, 
I did want to I did want to ask you a question about our own domestic politics and the support for the war. You just talked about Congress and the appropriation of the forty billion. When are Americans going to lose their appetite for supporting this war? Uh, you know, with our finances and our our, our war machine. Well, um, it could be you know that it's happening and and soon. I really haven't followed the polls on this very closely, but I think. If the administration does the right thing, it will try to convince the American people that there is a linkage, that things in America will get worse if Ukraine gets worse. Um, you know, our food prices, our gas prices, everything Americans are concerned about in terms of economics, uh, a lot of it is tied to what's happening in Ukraine and, and, and the region. So as long as Americans can realize, I mean, they're paying over $8 a gallon in Germany. Now, gas is always more expensive in Europe than the United States, but... Uh, you know, if people can try to keep a perspective of where things are here, where things are in the world, then perhaps they can realize that continuing this effort, continuing to support Ukraine is not just in Ukrainian interest, but it's in our interest. It's the, it's it's a smaller picture of the same thing we've been saying for 75 years with NATO. We deployed the United States troops there to protect the United States, not just to protect Europe. And, you know, some people feel that we're there just to protect Europe and not to protect ourselves. That's the two perspectives we've been dealing with with NATO for 75 years, and that's the perspective, kind of the debate about Ukraine now. Interesting. You know, that's a thread-the-needle type thing, too, for both the Democrats and the Republicans here in the United States to sell to the American people over the next few months and maybe a year or so is exactly how important that is, uh, the, the war in Ukraine and the effect on worldwide markets. Uh, Greg, it's it's just so good to get you back on to talk about these things. It's a difficult subject, but I know people are interested in your opinions and your thoughts. And as always, it's just a great pleasure to welcome you back to Billy West Live, as always. Dr. Greg Granger from Northwestern State University. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Billy. Anytime. Good to have you. Greg Granger joins Billy West Live.